you asked about like Irish National Theatre, is that what you asked? Yeah. yeah. Irish Theatre, where did it come from? What is it doing and where is it going? He was pacing backstage, waiting for the riots to happen. From the earliest days of independence to more recent questions about representation, we ask what is theatre's place in Ireland and what is Ireland's place in theatre? Not needing like a theatre audience necessarily, but like an event audience. Through interviews and conversations with experts and enthusiasts, we explore the history, controversies and future of theatre in a country so well known for it. It's very hard to kind of totally unpick it all when you're part of it. Because theatre should be for everyone. I'm Sarah O'Sullivan and this is Fail Better. Ever tried, ever failed. No matter. Try again. Fail again. Fail better. Samuel Beckett. Where did Irish theatre truly begin? In Ireland, we have a rich history of oral tradition, with legends and stories passed down by word of mouth over years and generations. These stories morphed and changed over time, sometimes tying in with the ideologies of the time, most notably Ushin of the Fianna, leaving Tirnanog and being baptised during an unexpected cameo by St. Patrick. But stories we tell each other can only travel so far. We had an advent of religious writers in Ireland, of Anglo-Irish writers, who took stories not specifically about Ireland and put them on stage. Oscar Wilde's best-known work centre on British notions of status and power, despite him being a native of Marion Square. By the turn of the 20th century, there was little representation of Irishness on stage, apart from British portrayals of Irish buffoonery, so what was there to do? When we talk about the legitimization of Irish stories, committing them to stage in the past century, there is one name that comes up again and again and again. Well, I suppose necessarily the Abbey. Naturally, I think of the Abbey. I suppose I like instantly do just think of the Abbey. Well, obviously the Abbey. I think I'm going to sound just like absolutely everyone else when I say the Abbey Theatre. <laughs> yes, the Abbey Theatre, Ireland's National Theatre. Founded in 1904 by William Butler Yeats and Lady Augusta Gregory, the Abbey Theatre established itself as an Irish national theatre before we even had our own parliament. It began a few years before that as an experiment. Gregory, Yeats and Edward Martin spoke about how there was no dedicated space for plays about Ireland written by Irish playwrights. Before it was the Abbey Theatre, it was that experiment, a national theatre experiment. Professor Nicholas Green, an academic specialising in 20th century Irish theatre and a judge for the Irish Times Theatre Awards, spoke on the motivations of creating this new Irish-specific theatre. Through a lot of the 20th century, Irish theatre was very much about representing Ireland, that the whole National Theatre project was about delivering images of Ireland uh, that had been misrepresented in the British stage or in the international stages. In the statement that the three founders released, they emphasised this focus on an Irish experience that had been so altered abroad, writing the following. We will show that Ireland is not the home of buffoonery and of easy sentiment, as it has been represented, but the home of ancient idealism. We are confident of the support of all Irish people who are weary of misrepresentation, 
in carrying out a work that is outside all the political questions that divide us. So, the goal was to show Ireland through Irish eyes, challenging those notions from abroad. That was clear from this statement, even if Lady Gregory later admitted that it was a little pompous. However, not all were convinced. In 1913, Gregory revealed that a number of the people she wrote to asking for financial help to establish the experiment did not think Irish theatre was feasible. One reply by Lord Ashbourne said, The idea is novel and curious, and for how far it is capable of realisation, I am not at all in a position to judge. An issue that came up again and again from potential sponsors was less about the content of the drama and more about the audience. One unnamed potential sponsor wrote to Gregory, My experience has been that any attempt at treating Irish history is a fatal handicap to anything in the shape of popularity, and I cannot see how any drama can flourish, which is not to some degree supported by the public, as it is even more dependent on it than literature is. There are popular Irish dramatists, of course, and very popular ones, But then, unhappily, they did not treat of Irish subjects. This same correspondent later wrote to apologise for being so negative. She did say she would like to see Irish drama, but as a whole enterprise, it was too risky to invest in because maybe no one else would. In the same essay, Lady Gregory revealed there was talk of a membership model, of making theatre for an audience of paying members, who chose to support the theatre rather than opening up to the public. This idea was quickly scrapped because it didn't fit in with the idea of the National Theatre Yates and Gregory were intent on building. So there's a compromise revealing itself. They want to make something for an audience both local and international. They want to make something both the nation will have faith in and those watching from abroad. The dramas don't only have to be true to the audience, they have to be impressive elsewhere. Through experiments, developments and mutations, Ireland's National Theatre, the Abbey Theatre, was properly established in 1904. And so the National Theatre was defined as Irish. But on whose terms? Here's Lisa Nally, a freelance theatre producer and marketer. Definitely, I don't think this, the main stage in the National Theatre serves the people in Ireland. I think it serves the people coming in to see what Ireland looks like. With funding and modelling coming from outside of Ireland, what was the appeal this new type of theatre could bring to the market? How could Ireland as a nation place itself on the cultural map over and over again through independence and beyond? And what would this performance mean beyond the establishment of a nation and a national identity? Here's Nicholas Green again. And and that was, if anything, almost a constraining feature of Irish theatre at times when playwrights tried to do something different were not sort of very obviously about Ireland and, and people They didn't fit the categories, particularly this sort of pressure on Irish theatre from the international marketplace means that, you know, if you if you take a play to New York or to London, it helps if it it actually looks like Irish theatre. Dancing at Lunasa, a huge international hit. 
The play Nicholas mentioned is a great example. Dancing at Lunasa is a play by Brian Friel. Presented in 1990, it depicts five unmarried sisters who live in Donegal in 1936, just before life as they know it changes. It is told from the point of view of a child, now grown, looking back on how his mother and her sisters interacted at that time. Most of the action takes place in their cottage, and most of the tension comes from the family dynamics. The plot of the play lines up almost perfectly with what playwright Colin Murphy defined as Irish drama when I asked him. So when I think about Irish theatre, I see kitchens. And I don't, I don't say that to be facetious because you know people do talk about kitchen sink drama uh, in a derogatory way. But, but I think what Irish theatre does really well is... Uh, drama about family and the home and communities um, and in in exciting ways um, families and homes and communities that are fracturing that are under extraordinary pressure uh, that are um, it's theatre that is very political in how it is uh, describing uh, the, 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 the pressures of society upon individuals and, 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 and communities. And it's not an outlandish definition. Dancing at Lunasa won both the prestigious Olivier Award in London for Best Play and the Tony Award in New York in the same category. It was also a big success in Ireland. In short, it was an Irish success and it looked like an Irish success. And with this notion established and an identity forged, have we become overprotective of it? In media about Ireland produced abroad, we love to complain, whether the location is off, the culture, or most notably, the accent. Here's Ali Whelan, also a theatre marketer. Because I think we're way more set, like obviously in the UK, they have a million different accents, but you don't see them online being like, oh, that wasn't Liverpool enough, do you know? Whereas like, I think with us, we're so like in tune to like the detail of an accent that like we get so offended by it when it's wrong. And like, oh, is it because there's no like Irish language? Has the art form become too stringent in how we define our identity as a nation? Has it limited creative development on our biggest stages as we try to fit into this notion of Ireland that we can all agree on? But then should we consider that the Abbey Theatre, while Ireland's national theatre, is not the country's only representation of theatre in Ireland, and its role has changed in the century since it was established. But then, should we consider that the Abbey Theatre, while Ireland's national theatre, is not the country's only representation of theatre in Ireland, and its role has maybe changed in the century since its establishment? Here's Nicholas Green again. Well, I think the Abbey is is a special case by now because um, uh, it is a, a kind of custodian of a canon and there is an obligation as well as producing new work, you know, stage the work of Singh and Yeats and O'Casey and, you know, down to relatively recent work, which has also come to seem canonical. Knowing where we started can help us understand where we're going. It was Nicholas Green, after all, who wrote in 1999, Every dramatist, every dramatic movement 
claims that they can deliver the true Ireland which has previously been misrepresented, travestied, rendered in sentimental cliché or political caricature. And they can so produce an unprecedentedly authentic Ireland because they really know what they're talking about. They have the Irish credentials to do so. And so, from the turn of the century to now, countless artists have tried to portray Ireland as they know it. As the nation changes, the art changes with it. Because though the Abbey is important, it's not the only place. As I'm very well aware, having done this um, theatre judging, it's not Ireland's theatre, which is all over the place. I'm I'm always very nervous about making generalisations. This is what's happening in the 21st century, you know, because something will happen, you know, next year just to make it all seem ridiculous and and ill-informed. It's an ever-changing landscape, growing beyond the constraints of those early definitions. But like before, they're all just looking for their audience. Fail Better is written, presented and edited by Sarah O'Sullivan. The theme music is by Theo Foley. Interviews included in this episode are from Professor Nicholas Green, Lisa Nally, Colin Murphy and Ali Whelan. Special thanks to DCU, The Pavilion Theatre, Leslie Numbers O'Sullivan, Maya Perdue and Kevin O'Leary.